all radio stations in town were palm trees, we'd be the one with the biggest coconuts. Our secret recipe isn't so secret. Need more bacon. Sounds good. That keeps you rocking with today's hottest music and yesterday's hits. <laughs> rocking Atlantic Canada and beyond. We're hitting gems broadcasting. You're listening. HGB. Being a superhero is bad for your health. Now that you're here, why don't you stay a while? The coffee's all brewing here on Carla's Coffee House, HGV Canada. Stick around, we're going to have a good time tonight. And welcome to the Coffee House, this is Carla, and I am so excited to be able to tell you guys that we're going to have one of my favorite artists on tonight Jim Henman and uh, Jim was co-founder with Miles Goodenwood for April Wine and he's going to be joining us tonight I'm going to get the show started right away tonight and uh, his new his album is absolutely the one I could get a hold of phenomenal I mean you're going to get a little bit of everything this guy is an amazing songwriter an amazing performer here is shame shame boogie Jim Henman and we'll be right back Okay, we're rolling. Okay. Well, when she was a young girl, sneakers on her feet, she'd head down to Portland Street and she'd show all the boys how to have some fun. But she dance all night, show them how it's done. She saw him standing at the bar. She said, he walked up to him. She said, you're Bobby Meyer. And he said, I do not, I do not like to dance. Well, she took him by the hand and he never even had a chance. They do the shame, shame boogie. Yeah, they do the shame, shame boogie. They do the shame, shame boogie all night long. They do the shame, shame boogie. They do the shame, shame boogie. They do the shame, shame boogie all night long. Well, it wasn't that long. It was her and Bobby Ma. They were driving down the Portland Street in his car. Pretty soon they're talking about a wedding rings. Every Friday night they dance like they had wings. Yeah, they do the same same boogie. They do the same same boogie. They do the same same boogie all night long. They do the same same boogie. They do the same same boogie. They do the same same boogie all night long. Found a preacher man and do it upright. Bobby thought he found the love of his life, but you know she found those weeks so very long. Well, Friday night, Bobby he was gone, gone, gone. Now she's doing the same boogie. She do the same same boogie. She do the same same boogie all night long. She do the same same boogie. She do the shame, shame boogie. She do the shame, shame boogie all night long. Bobby's gone. Bobby's gone. Now Bobby's gone. Then Bobby's gone. Bobby's gone. And we are back, and we got Jim on the phone right now, folks. So, Jim, I want to welcome you to Carla's Coffee House. Hi, Carla. How 
are you? I am really good. I got to tell you, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I've been um, a follower of your music, and uh, I tried to keep up with you here and there throughout the years. So I've been a fan for quite a few years, and this album that I I got a hold of, uh, shame on me, through YouTube, <laughs> was absolutely amazing. the The variety of the songs on this album's great. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, and you, you mentioned shame, shame, boogie. Uh, that's that's uh, that is one of the songs on that project. Now you you decided to make it sound retro. Is that and is that how you decided to go with it? Well, yeah, on that particular tune, or uh, the whole album uh, is 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 uh, I would say a rootsy style. Um, that's that album must be three or four years old now. Yeah, it was done quite rootsy, but the, that particular tune, Chin Chin Boogie, I did two versions of that. The one version you're talking about is the old really 30 style, I believe, if it's the same track that we're talking about. And uh, it, it uh, yeah, it's just the way I saw it at that time. You know, I was listening to different uh, um, blues, old, old roots, roots and blues from the 20s and 30s. And uh, I just decided that that should be that way. Yeah, that's great. I, I loved it when I heard the crackling come on there. I was like, oh, I'm, I like where this is going already. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it worked for that project, but we, uh, I, I did decide a little later on to do a rock version, Roger Keene's version of it, and that. so I went back in the studio uh, probably a year and a half later and recorded, uh, uh, recorded a, a track, and then had my buddy Miles Brugham from the one came in and played uh, some guitar, and a little mix and background harmonies. I kind of like that version just as much. Well, Jim, I want to tell you that we have listeners from all around the world on, on this particular station. So some folks are going to know who uh, Jim Henman is, and some are not going to know. So do you want to give us a little background, um, who you are, um, and a little kind of history of, of the projects that you've been involved in, just to give people a feel? Oh, okay, Charlotte. Well, um, you know, I, I was in the business, in the music business in the early 70s. Uh, I started the band, uh, April Wine, with my two cousins and, uh, and Miles Goodwin, who was my neighborhood friend. We had grown up together from probably 15 on and played in a couple of different bands. Um, he, uh, he and I kind of were on the same page a lot of the time musically, so it was quite nice. And when we decided to start it for one, he was a natural fit. But I got out, and for uh, probably after two years, I got out because I really did not like the lifestyle of traveling and uh, drugs and blues and the, the whole trip. And the business was kind of bothered me somewhat too. So I chose I chose to get out of the out of the business, and I I went into medical work for. Uh, probably 28 years, I guess it was, into the laboratory work in toxicology. And, you know, still wrote on the side, still wrote on the side. Probably, uh, I guess, in the 1990s, I started getting back into it as a writer and um, started performing in, in the late, late 1990s. I started performing again and as a solo performer. And um, I, I started doing these at that time, host concerts were really, really getting popular. So uh, I had uh, played at a few, and I thought, well, this is sort of what I want to do right now. I'm comfortable with this. So I, I still play those, and I thought, I still play host concerts. I do other things, festivals, things like that. But, uh, and, and, um, and I'm back, uh, actually playing with my buddy from the one mouse room, and we do a, a trio, acoustic trio. Awesome. You know, like, um, 
it it's it's something unusual that you do hear that somebody's you know um you know not it didn't really fit their lifestyle um you know they were headed for a road of what i guess most people assume would be you know success in the music business and you know to make that choice to to do something else and and then come back into it many years later like well pretty much full force because everybody was like hey jim's back <laughs> well yeah well uh, yeah i don't know everybody's saying that but some people are saying that um i uh I know it's an unusual turn, but I've been very lucky. I've been very blessed to have the, uh, you know, to be part of that band in the earlier days and leave it and then come back to it. And I, I can only say the, the one thing that really, really, really allowed this to happen is I got sober. Okay? And uh, that does, uh, you know, sobriety back in my 30s was. Uh, Probably the biggest thing I did that changed my life and, and allowed me to be where I am today. Go back playing and writing, and um, musically, I'm quite happy with where I am right now. Yeah, that seemed to be the um, difficulty for uh, a lot of people that were, you know, in, at, well, rock or country, it seems. You know, in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, there was, there was quite a lifestyle that came with it that, uh, it was amazing that some bands didn't burn out altogether, um, living that type of lifestyle. When I when I uh, when I got out of the business, it was around the time where Jimi Hendrix died, Janis Joplin died, Jim Morrison died, um, and and I remember that. I remember those three guys, three people dying, uh, and uh, over the years, there's been a lot, lot more yeah it does no. tend to shorten your life for sure even as you're getting yeah. older you know it wears on your body if you're you know blessed enough that you've you missed a couple of bullets you know <laughs> during your younger years yeah well, maybe maybe uh, I, I put my i call myself I think somebody has. Yeah, I can't remember now, but I remember uh, studying music uh, in sociology class at St. Thomas University quite a few years ago now, and uh, there yeah. there was some studies that they were doing at that time, um, and with hockey players too, believe it or not. Well, it's everywhere today, though, Yeah, it's... Society, society has moved from, you know... Uh, Marijuana being such a big problem back in, say, early 60s and 60s to really heavy duty stuff today. It's everywhere. I know, and it seems like, uh, um, it, it seems almost like the more that it becomes unacceptable, the more it becomes a problem. <laughs> Did you notice that? You know, like, no, it's, no. it just seems like it drives people underground more. If they do have a problem, they don't want to talk about it. They hide it, or they'll move to a different, uh, less obvious choice. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe I haven't looked at that from that point of view. No, um, uh, I don't know. I can't speak to that, to be honest. Um, Just something I, I was kind of observing, you know, in my my smaller circle of observations. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually true or not, but definitely it's out there. I know for myself, like. Um, I didn't, you know, I'm not, you know, a major artist or anything out there, so I don't know what other artists face, but I know that, you know, the, the simple things can be challenging because if you're playing somewhere, you know, and somebody offers you a drink because they're just, you know, really happy that they're there with you and they're enjoying your performance, um, and if you say no, sometimes it's, it's, it's very awkward because... It's almost like you're insulting a gift that they're trying to give to you, right? Yeah, uh, well, that's, that's exactly the issue that I had in the business was uh, every time you come into a town, um, you had been on the road for two or three weeks and you retired and you needed your rest and all that, but yet you had people from that particular town that you were playing and want to party with you or go with you to a club. 
situation where uh, it felt uncomfortable saying no. But the truth is that that's probably what a person should have done. I just looked after him and said, no, I have to go back to the hotel. I thought you had a bite to eat and get my rest. But, uh, you know, we're young and we don't realize what we're doing to ourselves. <laughs> that's so true. That's so true. Now, you, you uh, are you from Nova Scotia originally? Yes. Yeah, okay. I, grew up, uh, I grew up on the eastern shore of Nova Scotia and, and uh, moved to Waverly probably when I was around 16. And uh, that's where my was on that. And uh, I lived out of Providence off and on. But I'm back, I'm back in Nova Scotia. I've been here for quite a long time. Nothing like home, is there? Yeah, I, I, uh, the ocean, you know, the ocean is what keeps me here, and the lifestyle, and the simplicity of it, it's not as crazy as some of the places I've lived, and um, my kids are here, my grandkids are here, I got nine brothers and sisters, most of them are around here, you know, so, you know, a lot of my friends for years now, that I've got for years living around here, so, you know, it's just, it feels like home. Yeah, it's where you're supposed to be, for sure. I love Nova Scotia. Yeah. I got a chance to live there briefly, just in the Annapolis Valley, and and I totally loved the Annapolis Valley. I was I couldn't believe that Nova Scotia grew pears. Like I could just walk up to a tree and pick a pear off a tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I grew up yeah, in New Brunswick. Now, you would think I would know something like that. <laughs> well, no, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of noise. That's the valley. It's it's part of the economy in Nova Scotia, but it doesn't make a lot of noise. No, it's a, I think Canada's best kept secret right there. Yeah, yeah, great, great apples too. Oh yes, I guess I blew that out of the water because now people will know that it is the best kept secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what you got for? There's a little plug for tourism, Nova Scotia, right there. Okay. Now, Jim, what um, what styles are your favorite styles to write and and produce? I really, I, I really do like the old blues, the old acoustic blues. Uh, you know, the um, I guess it would have been called uh, Piedmont style. Um, I think I'm calling it the right thing, but I like Mississippi John Hurts. Oh yeah. And and therefore, I really like uh, John Sebastian's music because Sebastian's music is very reminiscent of people like Mississippi John Hurt in that era because he, he was highly influenced by that bunch of the performers and, and the singers, performers. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably my bottom line, but uh, I did the, when I did my first project, The Single Feeling, I, I had very much was influenced by that because I was listening to a lot of the playing about the head and it felt good to me because uh, it was kind of the finger-picking style that I played. Um, in, in over the years, uh, I've started writing uh, more uh, different styles. Um, I've got more adventuresome because uh, I started a process at my shows where I do um, songwriting at the shows. I call it organic songwriting. Mm. And uh, so I go, into, I go into the show and I have a whole kind of regime set up where I work with the audience, choose the title, and, and, uh, and we, we look at the, uh, the melodic structure, we look at the rhythm of the beat, and then we I, I clue them a little on, you know, rhyming ideas, and where, how to place the lyrics with the melody, and then we go, they go away in little groups and work a little on the project, and on the song, and then bring it back, and we work on it together again for a little while and see how it goes. Whatever they end up with, I take it home and uh, and work on it, develop it, and do a song and send it back to them. So it it depends very much on uh, what the people give me on how it ends up. You know, the, the inspiration. So I have to stay pretty open-minded because I, I have an album called House Plants, which is ten songs that I wrote in house concerts and I started in house concerts. Wow. And, and finish them at home and record them. And I would probably say that 80% of those songs are songs that I wouldn't have written by myself. The style of them, the subject matter, uh, 
month, uh, uh, January and the first of February, and so there'll be eight songs there for me to develop over the next couple of months uh, using the organic songwriting method. And uh, I just love it, and the audience seems to love it too because they're, they're, they get right into it. They get right into it. That is so cool. Now I want to hear that album and see what, you know, what what come out of it. You can, you can check it out on iTunes. It is on iTunes. Okay. Uh, it's, called host, it's called Host Plants. House Plants. There's, there's, there's even a song there that was written with some little kids. I did a show one time, and, and it, it was a family event, and some of the young children in the family were there, and they contributed to this song. And so I had them come in and actually sing the song when I did the project. It's convenient. It's not something you would do on a uh, normally on the project, but it just seemed to work for this one. You know, they uh, they contributed to it, so we had them come in and sing sing the song. So, do you do you have your own studio um, at home, or do you kind of go somewhere else to do to do your to do uh, your work? Most of my work is done in, in lately. It's been in member Caucasi with with Mike Trask. Um, Mike's produced all my projects up to the state. He, uh, I met him about uh, probably 15 years ago. And he has a studio. Yeah, I, I always get a lot of it's MCR or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Emma Cook Recordings. Yeah, MRC, that's it. Emma Cook Recording Company. From Santa Monica. And uh, him, him and his business partner have set up uh, in the village. And uh, I just like working with Mike because he's, he's got great ideas. He's very creative, and he's got the root sensitivity that I like. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we work well together. I guess he's doing great things up there in the Brunswick. I think he just won uh, either Producer of the Year or Studio of the Year uh, in the Brunswick Music Awards. That's two of the future, uh, 2018. Oh wow! I think that's probably why the name sounded familiar because. Every once in a while, you'll see somebody's name come up through those awards, right? Yeah, and he knows what he's doing, and, and he's one of the few studios that has um, a 24-track analog tape, tape recorder plus digital, and I, that's how I like to record. I like to, I like to use both mediums because editing works, works much better digitally, but I like to record it sound going through tape, so it's just much much more works for me. So you, you were saying that you have some shows coming up in the next little while. Yeah, I've got uh, eight concerts coming up starting this weekend. Um, most of them are house concerts um, where I'll be doing the organic songwriting. Um, a couple of them are on the are, are kind of charity, not what do you call it, um, benefit. Uh, you know, some of the profits will go towards uh, um, it's make make sense of change. Uh, a new uh, friend that I met, Paul Craig, him and, a, him and his buddy have started this to help the street people and people that you know have had many problems. And um, I live in Halifax, and, and I see a lot of street people here, so I yeah. kind of lean towards that and to helping these people. So, um, two of the benefit, two of the shows are, are benefits. Uh, for that organization. Uh, four of them are just straight house parties with the organic songwriting uh, part. And then uh, two of them are larger shows, you know, one in Chester uh, and one in Mustard on the So, and uh, it'll be a busy two weeks. Oh, yes, yeah, sounds like it's going to be fun. If I was there, I would be going to at least one of them. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm sitting in Brampton, Ontario, so I don't think I'll make it in time. <laughs> I don't think you will. I don't think you will. But, you know, um, that brings me to the, to the next question, because I'm always curious to ask this. You know, you've probably played in front of thousands of people, and you've played, you know, in house concerts where it's more intimate, small. What what What's the difference for you and... What's your, what would you say your, is your favorite? And if, if it's both, can you tell us a little bit uh, uh, why one appeals in, in one certain way? Um, well, I, 
I don't mind playing larger shows as long as I have my band and a professional sound system and you know, a good monitor system and you know, all those things that you know, help you kind of give a good performance for the audience. I don't mind that. Um, but when you do play the larger shows, of course, you lose uh, that intimacy and that relationship that you have with the audience from the smaller host concerts. I can play a small show of 40 or 50 people at a host concert and less and, and have a, a real uh, conversation with the people, the stories, uh, the exchange, you know, between the audience and myself. And uh, that whole, I, I don't use band music for host concerts, I use a bass part mostly. Although occasionally I do use bass and, and percussion bass and small kits. Um, but it's, it's just that intimate part of it that I enjoy so much uh, at the host concerts. But they're different, they're different you know, they're, they're different experiences, is exactly what I mean to say. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't dislike uh, one or the other or like more one or the other. They're different experience, and if everything is, is okay, as question because I'm curious of what what your answer is going to be is from the time that you started uh, quite a few years ago um, and you, you kind of took a we'll call it a break in between you know and now you're back at it do you see um, is there a difference in fans compared to when you started to uh, fans now is there a difference in fans yeah, like your audiences. Do you find that there's a difference in how people receive music, how they receive performances compared to, say, like the early days with uh, with your earlier bands? Well, I think, you know, you're talking about the difference between a 23, 24-year-old and a guy my age today. Um, I'm playing for a completely different age uh, audience. You know, uh, quite, a bit, quite a few of the audience are people that uh, were rock and roll fans in the 70s, mm -hmm. you know, and they're older now, and some of them recognize my name, and they know my background, and they've followed my career in the last 15 or 20 years. So, um, uh, they are, they're, they're not 24 anymore, they're 70, they're 65, they're 60, so, you know, 60 to 70, and they've settled down a lot, they see you know, most people know, you know, I don't, you don't have any, uh, I never see a drunk anymore at a, at a show. Wow. Uh, you know, no, I never see a drunk at a show. Uh, you know, maybe people are smoking weed, that's okay, I don't mind. It's, it's legal now that you do that, right? Yeah. Um, but I've done that they smoke weed, I actually drink and say, listen, more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any problems with, I, I really don't have any problems with them talking at shows. I say, maybe, in the last five, six years, I can maybe remember one guy that talked, you know, while I was playing, and uh, I had a little conversation with him and said, you know, I, I can't, I can't play if you're going to talk loud like that. You know? It just doesn't work. Um, I, so he got, he got what I was trying to say, and he, he just stopped talking. So we don't have that problem. You know, if, if people are coming in to, to listen to the songs and the stories and do the songwriting and all those type of things, you know, that, 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 that we want, that I want. You know, I, I, the reason I was asking that, because there's, there's um, um, myself too, I find that the, the older crowd, they, they're the ones that do like to come out, you know, earlier shows, sit and listen, they want to hear the stories, they want to hear the songwriting. But I find that it, it's quite intriguing that, there's um, a select few young people, you know, in that 20, 20, I guess, 20-year-old 20 age group, 
um, that they're interested that they come out and listen. Do you do you find that there's any movement in that area with with your music as well? I have some. I have some followers that are younger, yeah. But most of my fan base, um, when I'm doing my acoustic shows, it's probably the youngest would be in their forties, I think. Yeah. My now, age then. Play, <laughs> yeah. But when we play, when we do the uh, Moscow and acoustic show. Um, there's younger people there at that show because, uh, of course, the, the, uh, we play a lot of the hits from, from the one day, so that that's probably uh, for somewhere else, for some, you know, because because they know those songs and they're apt to come out to see that performer that wrote those songs and sings those songs. Yeah. But um, uh, I, I think I think you know when you're younger, you know, you're not really going out to listen. Unless it's a concert, uh, if it's a bird situation, you just go up to drink and talk and socialize. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. So it's a different. This is a whole different experience today. You know, the the the, uh, the earlier shows, uh, I I played from seven thirty to nine thirty. You know, by ten thirty, I'm packed up and ready to head home. Um, and the audience is ready to leave ten o'clock too. Yeah. They're they're all in known their fifties and sixties or maybe late for it, I don't know. And uh, they, you know, they just don't stay up late. You know, they're quite happy, it seems, to go between uh, 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 seven and ten o'clock and go home. Um, I, I even find that this Sunday afternoon concert in Brassy, three of my shows this month, are Sunday afternoon from two, like two to five shows, two to four to um, I've noticed that that's starting to get popular with, with some people that they want to do the shows on Sunday afternoon, which is interesting. I, it's kind of it is interesting because when you think about yeah. it, remember uh, years ago um, when we had theaters in all our small towns all across Canada, you used to have the Sunday afternoon matinee or the Saturday afternoon matinee, and it would always oh, yeah. be packed. Yeah. And then they took that away. Uh, they said, no, nobody's coming out anymore. Yeah, uh, well, uh, at the, at the, these house concerts are doing three of them are in the afternoon, so I guess maybe there is a move back towards it on this circuit. Um, I, I I find it different. I'm not used to it going outside the afternoon and, and playing a gig. It, uh, it does feel a little hot. Yeah, you must must feel like you're doing something something a little bit wrong, maybe. <laughs> it, it, it has a different feel. Yeah. You know, if you, if you get curtains and you can close the windows and kind of dim the lights a little, it might seem a little more like it's a, what you're used to. But in most of these places, it's the lights still it's quite bright in the rooms, and you you got good eye contact with the people, so it feels a little bit feels a little different than an evening show for sure. Now these these house concerts. Uh, um, are they open to the public, or is it something that it's invitation only? Most of them are invitation. Okay. Invitation only. They set them up, uh, you know, in such a way that they, because they're in a private home, uh, the people normally don't want anybody coming that they don't know. Right. Unless it's something, somebody that I might refer, you know, if I, if I say, oh, i got these two friends, and they're really good people, they're not going to steal anything, they're not going to keep trying, they're not going to be loud, and they won't swear a lot, you know, whatever the, the quiet, you know, the quiet uh, needs are, if they fit it, then that's it, okay, I trust your opinion, but most of the time, it's uh, the person who's putting the show on, who we call the host, he or she, or the couple, will <clears throat> invite all of their friends that they think will enjoy this, um, and, and you don't need, uh, because of the size of the rooms, a lot of time you only get 25 people. But that's 25 people is, is enough to provide a good show and um, it works out fine for both me and the host and the people that come. That's, that's yeah, you know, the, the, the house thing is different where, depending on wherever you go because it, it, it's, it is a private thing and uh, not not every, every event's run the same way, I'm sure. Um, now, Jim, there's a uh, there's, I forgot what I was going to ask you. I just came from Kingston, believe it or not, back to Brampton today. <laughs> I, I played there a couple of years ago. I did some shows up there. Wait, Brampton or Kingston? 
Kingston. Kingston. Isn't that a cute town? I like it very much. I do too. It's got so much history in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that. I spent some time there two or three days and walked around a lot. And uh, I know some people there and they showed me around. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I ended up at Miss Piggy's. Miss Piggy's. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to go there because I, I mentioned earlier I was a big fan of John Sebastian, who, who was the lead singer and writer for, for uh, Love and Snowfall. And when they were very, very popular in the 60s, Zal Yanossi was their guitar player. And Zal got busted for, for pop back in the 60s and he got kicked out of the United States. Well, I think he was from Kingston area, or maybe from Kingston, but he ended up back in Kingston. And he was the chap that started this video, whatever it's called. Um, but he owned that restaurant and that bakery and all that with his wife. And um, I really wanted to go because I was a big fan of theirs. And I thought he was still alive, but I found out he, was, he had passed away. But, uh, but it was a nice experience to go and enjoy some meals and pick up some bread. Do you get a chance to come to Ontario to play very much? We do with the trio with Miles to go there every summer. We seem to have their summers. Uh, I remember where we played last year. Uh, yeah, it was the summer before. I think we did Sarnia and London. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> After a while, you forget, right? Yeah, you do. I'm just trying to think, too, because I was kind of in and out last year quite a bit because I was doing a lot of stuff and I do remember seeing um, Brian, Brian Greenway. He ha he was doing some kind of blues show, I forget. Um, yeah. With the circuit? Bus, bus yeah. Bus yeah. Bus yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I seen that Miles was doing something too, but I, I didn't catch where, and but I knew it was with us like a, like a trio or something. But I missed yeah, that it. Was, yeah, we have the trio. Does the trio have a name? Uh, you know what? I, I, I think it's Simone's Goodman Trio. I don't know what it's called. Isn't that terrible? I don't know what it's called. Really. <laughs> I just see it. I think basically it's both under Miles Goodman. And then it's acoustic trio. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's his name. It's, it's yours. It's the primary, primary uh, title of the event. You know. Miles Goodman's uh, acoustic I, trio. I, <laughs> something like that something like that yeah yeah I mean you just have to put his name in there because most people know who he is so. oh yes yes they do I was uh, I was such a I think April Wine was the first band I fell in love with when I was like you know 12 or 13 and um, mm -hmm. because of them I kind of fell out of the pop world pretty quick and right into the rock and roll world and uh I have a funny story to tell you. I don't know if you'll think it's that funny, but um, not last year, but the year before, I had an opportunity. Um, I was asked to be on the Christmas Daddy's telethon there on CTV. And I said, okay. yeah. I said, sure. I said, I've never done it before, and I'm here in the Maritimes right now. Let's do it. So I did. So I was in the Moncton studio. <laughs> and, you know, being a great big Miles Goodwin fan, um, he was on first, um, and Steve Murphy had him on in uh, Halifax. So I was outside in the green room watching Miles on the TV with Steve Murphy, and he was talking about, I think it was his book that he just put out. Yes. And Miles was getting nervous on, on the TV, and he had this deer-in-the-headlight look, and he actually said, I don't know why I'm nervous, but I'm nervous <laughs> I was going up right after him in Moncton, and I started, I was okay, and then I started to panic. I said, holy frig, if Miles Goodwin's nervous, I said, I don't stand a chance on the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we all have our times when we get nervous, and when you're used to being backed by a, a lot of sound and three other musicians, and all of a sudden you're placed in a position where you're playing with acoustic guitar, I suppose it can be quite... Uh, Quite a change. <laughs> yeah, and he was talking about a book, and that was probably something he's not used to talking about either, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just a different gig. We played, we actually played it this year. The trio played it this year, and we had a ball. Yeah, it was good. 
I didn't get to see it. I felt bad, but I was right in the middle of uh, um, everything here. Um, I, I The radio station, I, I do by myself pretty much, so it really eats up my time after work. I come home and I'm promoting everybody else and I kind of forget who I am sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. love to do it because, like, you know... Um, it's, like, it's a good it's a, it's a good gig, those, those uh, Christmas daddy jokes. It is, but and I, it goes know, for a great I know what cause. You I know what you mean by being so busy. Uh, uh, and that's, that's exactly where I've been lately. It's just too busy, but in you know, another two weeks, it'll be okay. I'll be out of, out of Canada, going to Cuba, and uh, you can spend some time in the sun with my wife. Hey, now, there sound, that sounds like you'll probably have to write a song about that. I did last year. I wrote, a song, uh, <laughs> I wrote two songs. I wrote one called Some of These Children. In Cuba, and um, it was about the shootings in uh, Florida at uh, Stonewall High School or something. I forget the name of this high school where those seventeen children or something were shot. Oh, was, I remember we that. Were, yeah. Yeah, we were we were in Cuba at that time, and and uh, I had just picked up a, a Cuban trace. It's a three double strings on it, and it's a beautiful instrument. I didn't know how to play it. Had no idea. And I was falling around on it, and suddenly this line came up, some of these children, and I wrote a song about these type of things that are happening in society, especially in schools. And came back to Canada, recorded it, and then I, through a series of strange events, I ended up releasing it as a benefit song for the Boys and Girls Club of Halifax. There's five clubs in the Great Halifax, right? These Boys and Girls Clubs, and then my strange turn of events, it was released in memory of a young boy, Jason McCullough, who had been, uh, who had been shot 20 years ago. Oh. Uh, and unknown, unknown why, it's unknown who did it, um, and he was, uh, he had gone through the Boys, Halifax Boys and Girls Club, and was a volunteer at the Halifax Boys and Girls Club, and was was actually shot on his way home. And um, so I released that song that I'd written in Cuba. And um, I wrote two songs. And the one was about going to Cuba. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was about running away from life and going to Cuba for a while. And uh, I actually don't play that one yet, but it's, it's coming in sometime. That's awesome. So I'll be writing, I'll be writing some more songs this, this year in Cuba because we're going to be down there for a little while. You know, um, I think that's part of the songwriter's calling, isn't it, though? It's, it's you know, you have write fun songs sometimes, but it's really about getting messages across and trying to convey what what the feelings are about that because you know somebody's out there listening to that song and they can't put it into words, but sometimes it's your words that can just give them that aha moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I don't deliberately do that for sure. It only happens once in a while, to be honest, Carol. Um, I have written some that I would call, I guess, political. But I, I'm not one of those writers that does that thing very much. I, most of the time, I've noticed lately, my writing is more, uh, how should I put it? It's, it's not intentional. It's not something, it's not anything intentional. Excuse me. Unless I'm doing a project that somebody really has directed me towards something like last, I don't know, it wasn't last year, the year before, I was given a consignment to a song based on a 1759 poem, The Invasion of Chester, 1779 poem, it was, it was The Invasion of Chester by American Pirates. And uh, it was, it was, the poem was written at that time, around that time, and it tells the story of how what happened and the part that the women played in it protecting the village, you know, and a whole whole story. And and so I of course I had guidelines, so I wrote the song just following this the, the vision of the of the poem with uh, I didn't use the um, the lines, any of the lines in the poem, I, I uh, because a lot of time poetry just doesn't work as lyrics for songs. Um, Unless you're a boat girl or a land going. Um, 
about it. If you're delaying quite a bit, you can tell from the title whether or not it's a title that can be expanded into something, whether it has a vision to it, yep. whether it has possibilities to it, whether it appears to have some creativity to it. And then you go with it and see where it's going to go. And that's probably at some point you'll say, oh, yeah, I know what this summer's about. <laughs> at least that's the way it is for me. Uh, you know, and some songs are not with anything. You just never find out what. I had one song called uh, Tough As It Was that I wrote as, as a song with a house concert, starting a house concert. I came home to finish it, and I had really had no idea what that song's about. It's a, it's a powerful song, but I don't know what it's about. Isn't that amazing when that happens? It's like, I don't know, divine yeah. intervention or something that just gets downloaded into you, but you don't even know what it means, and you wrote it, right? Yeah, yeah. It has a story, kind of story to it, but I, I don't know what it's about. And I suppose some people would say, well, gee, well, maybe you didn't finish it. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I, I think it's finished. It's, I guess it's one of those songs, to be honest, Carmen, that if you listen to it, you get a message, and somebody else listens to it, they get a message. Yeah. Yeah, and then I just feel when I, when I play, I feel. The song makes me feel, and I think that's what it does to other people. It makes them feel, and uh, I believe that a good song makes a person feel. It, you, you, it, it encourages some sort of feelings in the person. Some songs create a happy, happy feeling. We feel really good when you play it, you know? Other songs create, uh, create this nostalgia, nostalgic feeling. Uh, some create a, a, a love feeling, like you remember your loved one, somebody you love, you know, uh, it feels good, you know, uh, and, and then some kind of melancholy, you know, street melancholy. Others are just interesting stories, just interesting stories. Do you remember the song that Kenny Rogers first hit he had out? Uh, you know, one of the first hits, The Gamma. Oh, yes. And then there was the other one, too, that the first one, Lucille. But The Gamma in particular, that doesn't really create any emotion in me. But I love the story. Yeah, exactly. I love the story. And he didn't write that, of course. It was written by uh, John uh, Steve. Oh, boy. Steve Goodman, I think. Steve Goodman, I believe it was. Steve wrote that, too? He passed away now, so... um, uh, He wrote so many amazing songs at Steve Goodman. Perhaps he did. I'm not overly familiar with him, but I know... know, Oh, he wrote the... uh, the one that um, Arnold Guthrie had in two, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I knew wrong about this, but I think uh, the New Orleans one. Yeah, we looked at. Yeah. I may be wrong about the Ken, I may be wrong about the Kenny Rogers song. I stand to be corrected on that, but I had thought that he wrote it. So I'll have to I'll wrong. have to Google that and find out now because. I'm quite yeah. a Steve Goodman yeah. fan. He was he was amazing. <laughs> Do you ever hear his song <laughs> Vegematic? Well, his that one's pretty awesome, and Talk Backwards is crazy. I don't know how he figured that out, but it's like, it's a don't, mind don't twister. Well, <laughs> I think he was, a pretty, he was a pretty intelligent man and very creative, uh, just a, a great writer, a creative person. I love and songwriters because you're always learning something from them. You know, that, that's, I think, when I was growing up, I always sat around, like, my grandparents raised me, so I was always around the older generation. And the thing that they did for entertainment was they always went to visit each other, you know, um, um, and tell stories. And the more stories they told, the grander they got, you know, and I was fascinated, and I still remember those stories. And that's, to me, like, songwriting, I'm fascinated by a story in songs, but I'm also, like, what you mentioned was very interesting to me, too. It's about invoking feelings, too, because some songs just... You know, you just want the feeling and you don't want to have to think too hard about the subject matter. <laughs> That's me, anyway. Yeah, well, you know, actually, I think, I think it's uh, there's certain writers and, uh, that they create a visual. As soon as you hear the words, you, you see the picture. Yeah. You see it in your mind. You can see it. And they, and they, they kind of paint these pictures as you listen to the song and there's emotion involved just from seeing that picture. Uh, and, and the story evolves through those through those 
pictures and some of the emotions carried through. It's, it's pretty neat. Uh, it's not something that I can do that well. Uh, I, I really respect writers. You know, one of my favorite writers is, is Leonard Cohen because he does, he just knows how to paint words, just knows how to paint them. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. There's so many different... Uh, we was ha- actually having a, a conversation on Facebook uh, in my little circle of friends. I have a lot of musician friends on there. And, you know, we were talking about songwriting um, the other day. And, you know, what uh, what drives them and what... Um, where they get... What blocks them from, from actually writing? Like, do they get a block? And where do they find that the block comes, you know? Um it was it was a incredible responses that I received. Let me ask you this question on our closing remark: Is when you do, if you do get writer's block, do you know what causes it? Um, I've never I've never really thought of myself as having writer's block, but you know, I I started writing songs when I was twelve years old. Um, so I've been writing songs for close to 60 years, um, off and on, but I've never put myself in a position like someone who's um, working full-time at music, and uh, let's say somebody like uh, the writer from Cape Breton that works at a match for now, Gordy, Gordy Sampson, oh, yes. um, who, I who I met a couple weeks ago at a songwriting circle, I heard some of his songs, he's a great songwriter, great songwriter, but he has, he tried to, you know, they, they chart one or two songs a day, you know, they play one or two songs a, a day, um, I, I've never been that type of writer, I, I write, I go through cycles, is what happens with me, I will write for a couple of months, two or three or four months, and then I might not write for another three, four or five months, but those three or four months when I'm writing, it seems like it just comes, 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 comes. And those three or four months when I don't write, I don't have any interest in it. I really don't have any interest in it. Uh, it's uh, maybe I've said all I want to say, or my, whatever that part of me that, that writing is satisfying, I guess after three or four months, whatever, it's satisfied, and then I need to refuel. I need to have new experiences, new mm-hmm. thinking. Read, read new stuff, see new movies, talk to new people, talk mm-hmm. to different things. I don't know, maybe I just have to fill up and re-gas again. And listen to new music, uh, particularly, I think is a hard, is a great influence. And lately, I'm listening, I think going back to the 60s, and listen to The Beatles, and, uh, and uh, Love is Spoonful, and jazz, and some classical, and uh, even some country that I love. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's too much 80s rock, and I wasn't a big fan of 80s rock. I wasn't either. <laughs> no, so I, I don't go to that at all. Although there's some great songs there. Yeah. Some like the sound. Um, so I, I tend to go back to the real, real, what I call real country. You know, Willie, Willie always pleases me. Willie Nelson always pleases me. Everything I hear of his, I like. I like the sound. I love the words. Lyrics, I love his melodies, I love his chord structures, I love the way he sings, I love his musicians, everything he does, I love. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't know, I don't think I have, I'm not challenged enough to have a great output, um, so I don't, I don't have writer's block that much, not the term that I think you make. Um, where you really sit down and try to write. I mean, I've had times when I try to write and nothing comes. Yeah, but I mean, that could be just for this morning or just for today or just for a day or two, and then I might sit down. You know, I write on different instruments. I, I, have, I have my bass, I have a acoustic guitar, I have a classical guitar, I have a ukulele, I have a trace, and some of the instruments I'm a little better at than others. Like my ukulele, I don't know what chords are. I don't know what I'm playing at the time on ukulele, so it's very adventuresome. It's like a beginner's mind, creates a beginner's mind. And I'm just like, I'm a beginner again. And it's, it does bizarre things. It 
where I am. And, uh, and I, have to, I have to build a new, I have to find a new path to get out of there. You know, a new path is a song that whatever comes out is a new path. No, no, no. That's actually what we was going for here because I, I think a lot of people do have questions, and some people are isolated. They're they're not in a in a place where they can, you know, get to songwriter circles, or they're too shy to. And I know a lot of songwriters like that. So it's good to know so that they can they can hear that from somebody that's you know does this for a long period of time and you know is met with um, good success doing it. And know that there's not a formula. I mean, sometimes we get trapped into that idea that it's got to be a form, you know, there's a way to write. There's no real way to write that I'm aware of, but uh, I well, could be wrong, you know? Well, there, there is a formula for certain styles of music, but I guess one of the things that the, the commercial side of the music business, I tend, I tend to think that there's a lot of formalized stuff there. Yeah, that's what I like. That's why I like my show is because we don't formulate this one either. <laughs> There's nothing Good. planned. <laughs> so are you, wait, are you on the internet or on radio? It's internet radio. So uh, we're streaming yeah, all across the world. Oh, wow. Yep. So, so how, many, how many followers do you have on this show? Uh, it, it's over. It's kind of combined through two pages that I can count plus the web page. So it looks like uh, we've got about 6,000 right now. That's nice. Yeah, it's a pretty good. And like I say, um, uh, I rebranded the station. Um, we were Atlantic Canada based only. And then when I came out this way, plus I started knowing so many musicians from all over the place. I said, uh, I got to spread out a little bit and get yeah. grab more of my Canadians. Now we have, you know, musicians that are, are from Switzerland and uh, other places in Europe that are on the on the station. And and um, we had Bar Barney Bentall was on uh, the show, I think, last week. And it's just really nice because, um, you know, it it kind of fills the gap between what the major stations are doing. And uh, it, it helps. It helps artists. I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. You know, the Internet is a wonderful vehicle. We just need people like yourself who are willing to uh, step up and do this type of thing and get it out to the, the masses as many as you can and, uh, and expose more and more people to Canadian artists. I, um, where else can I where else can I uh, go and reach 6,000 people really? You know, Where else can I go and say, oh, don't forget to check out jimhendon.com <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> or, or, or go to iTunes, you got my product on iTunes. I mean, we need that type of thing. As, as artists, we need a vehicle to have that exposure. Exactly, because the big guys aren't really doing it for anybody. They're taking too much off the top, even for Spotify, iTunes, and all that. You know, it's you don't see too much out of uh, the 98 cents that you no, might get, right? Yeah. 
most of my product movement is at shows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, that's, but that's what I expect. That's what I expect. I, I don't have anybody um, behind what I'm doing um, to, to promote it. I have distribution, but I don't have anybody to promote it or put any money into it. And I, to be honest, I don't want that. I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy the way it is. Um, I can't. I can't complain. You know. I think uh, um, if I was younger, I would certainly be more aggressive about, about how I was doing this. Is, uh, and I think young artists using the internet and have a good business savvy. Uh, I think they can make probably make a darn good living. I agree. It's just it's there's so much uh, to to wade through for them, and that's what I try to help a little bit on that end. And like you say, you know. It's something that's needed, and and there's always that middle of the row artist, you know, that's neither really big or really small, but they meet with some sort of success, and they don't know whether they should quit or keep on going because they're right like on an edge of something, but they just don't know what. <laughs> yeah, you never know what you're on the edge of. You know? Exactly, usually a cliff when you're a musician. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to thank you so much, Jim, for joining us tonight. We're just a little bit out of time, and I wanted to play a few more of your songs on the way out. And I hope we can catch up again sometime, if that's all right with you. Yeah, yeah, keep in touch, keep in touch. And uh, um, good luck, good luck on this venture. Great, thank you so much, and it's, it's been a pleasure. So enjoy your time thank in Cuba with your wife. Thank you, Carla. Okay, good night, Jim. And that was Jim Henman. Um, he was one of the co-founders of April Wine. Now, we're not going to play any April Wine for you tonight because I am kind of over my time. But, you know, like Jim's a seasoned performer and I wanted you to hear what he had to say. And I hope you could hear okay because the phone line was a little rough. They must be having a windstorm in Nova Scotia. No, I'm just kidding, Jim. So I'm going to play you a couple tunes and... Uh, off of uh, one of his older albums. This is from 2012, I do believe. He's got newer ones out. We're going to try to get them on the station so you can enjoy his music. This next one up is Could Be Heaven by Jim Henman, and I'll be right back. Yeah, if you want him, you can have 
Henman with Could Be Heaven. We're going to take it out with uh, one more song here. And uh, probably, it'll probably fade out before we get it finished because we really got to end this show. But uh, this here is You Can Have My Heart. Jim Henman, thank you so much for joining me here on Carla's Coffee House. More is coming this week. Check out the HGB Radio. I think I just changed the name of it. So it's uh, Community Radio Community. HGB Canada Radio Community. Yes, that's it right there. That's it right there, folks. You got her? All right, so go over there. Uh, join the group. That's where most of the action happens. Um, please like the page, HGB Canada. And you can find us on Twitter as well. And uh, all the shows are recorded live off the floor. So you can catch those on Anchor FM, Spotify, under Carolus Coffee House. Go check it out. Thanks so much, folks. We'll see you again Tuesday night.